0: I'm Rob Skinner and this is the Rob Skinner podcast. Today on episode 89, I talked to John and Carol McGurk in Paris, France. John and Carol were missionaries to Paris and then to Brussels, Belgium in the 80s and 90s. They returned to the US for 17 years and then in their 50s returned to Paris in 2012. Since that time, the church has seen remarkable growth and strengthening. In this episode, they share how they rebuilt trust in a church that had declined from 600 to only 75 members. How over the past nine years, they've seen over 120 baptisms, starting with only 75 members. How they've seen 60 former members return to the faith. How they've concentrated on helping the children of their members become disciples. Forty-five children of members have become Christians during their leadership Their powerful ministry philosophy of bringing your entourage to heaven with you. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, to make this life count, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. It's been a great week so far. I am really enjoyed connecting with James Thomas last week and hearing his story and all the ultra marathons he's running and the life he's living. It's, it's really been, been a great time to reconnect with him after about 30 years. I'm also happy because the mission planting to Flagstaff, Arizona is moving forward. The couple that's leading the team, Brian and Abby Mackey, have moved temporarily to Tucson for us to get to know them and to work with them for a couple months before we go up and actually plant the team. I'm also happy to hear I was talking to Gary Roberson, who leads the church in Hilo, Hawaii, and they've settled on a leadership couple that I'm really thrilled about, and that. (laughs) And so that'll be a replanting starting the summer. So lots of good, good news on the missionary front. If, you, if you're interested in either one of those plantings or supporting the team, just let me know. I, I got a really nice and encouraging message from an old friend, Bobby Trotter, who uh, thanked me for the program and wanted to support the team. So, Bobby, here's a shout out to you. Really appreciate your listening to the program. It's awesome. Today I'm talking to John and Carol McGurk, leaders of the church in Paris, France. This was a church that was planted in the late 80s, and then like many, went through a number of challenges. Uh, John and Carol have been able to get the church growing again in a challenging mission field, and we're going to find out how they did that. I know John through his sister, Sue Schaff, they've got a big family. And we also visited them a couple of years ago in the summertime, visiting beautiful Paris. And so I'm, I, this is a, an interview that I've been wanting to do from the very beginning of the, the podcast. And, and um, they were kind enough to allow me time to talk to them today. So I'm very, very happy to talk to them. John and Carol, welcome to the program. Thanks. Thank you so
1: much. We're so glad to be here.
0: I know. Me too. Me too. Can you guys share with share with me how did you guys become Christians?
2: Uh, I'd love to share if I can remember. um, (laughs) I uh, I became a Christian in 1984, and uh, of course, uh, my religious upbringing was: Dad was Catholic, Mom was. Protestant, which uh, back in the 60s, early 60s, was uh, fairly controversial. Uh, but uh, I went through my young um, teenage years going to Catholic church, and I think through college I stepped away from all. Uh, I think my uh, empty way of living caught up with me, and harden my heart just enough to uh, want to step away from all form of religious hypocrisy. So I I, uh, I, ran from the Catholic Church at that point. But for me, it wasn't until uh, uh, my graduation that um, from Boston College that I Um, I I had this conversation with my father that was really unique. He wanted to give me a graduation gift. Um, And so he gave me a check for $2,000 and he, he just made a passing comment as my father would often do. You know, I still don't know what I want to do with my life. So why don't you take a little time and uh, figure things out? Why don't you travel? And so Literally that afternoon, I uh, contacted a travel agent. That's what we did back in those days. And I booked a one-way ticket uh, to Gatwick Airport in London to do kind of a European tour. Hmm. And it was the short version of that story is it was about three months into that trip. Uh, living the prodigal son lifestyle for those three months that I had used up uh, just about all of that $2,000 that my father had <laughs> given me. I, and I stumbled my way into Amsterdam uh, w- with all the reputation that Amsterdam had at the time. And uh, I met a believer uh, who handed me a Bible and encouraged, shared her story with me. and encouraged me to consider... Um, faith in Jesus. And uh, she shared just enough about her personal life that it felt compelling. And so that night, it was two o'clock in the morning, I think, when we had met. And that night I read the Gospel of John because that was my first name. Wow. And I uh, I was really struck, overwhelmed by of this whole story of Jesus from start to finish and uh, and it really gave me pause and so I uh, had about another month uh, to travel and spent uh, that month reading the rest of the New Testament. I only got one of those Gideon Bibles that was only the New Testament so I I didn't even have to uh, wade through the Old Testament at that time <laughs> uh, but uh, but it was uh, it was really an exciting read, uh, in a month where I really didn't have much of anything else to do. And, uh, and so that's where, uh, Carol comes in, into the story, but, uh, Carol, of course, I, I'll, I'll share this just because there's a segue is Carol and I had met just months prior to my trip to Europe. Uh, she had visited the Boston area where I was living. We met, uh, in town one night and we started to date, uh, long distance. So, uh, so when I came back, um, he was super cute. I was strong, <laughs> Still very handsome, handsome, very ruddy, very ruddy and totally unspiritual and godless. But uh, we but, had that in common. But but, but anyways, uh, I, I came back to the Boston area and I uh, shared a little bit that experience with Carol who had just moved to Boston, got a job at At mass general hospital at that time and so uh, we started to look for a church together uh, all the while trying to navigate how we're going to live manage our relationship and what was becoming kind of conviction about that we needed a, a different uh form a different uh uh trajectory to our relationship so we hadn't quite figured that out and that's where carol kind of enters my story because she was much more um i think uh, ready to make definitive decisions about her spiritual life Hmm.
1: so uh my story um is maybe a little different i grew up in new jersey um And uh, with an Irish-Italian family, I have six, well, we're six siblings, but I was actually born a twin, and my twin brother died during birth. And the reason that's significant is because I think very young, um, in my most, my formative years, my memories of um, just... uh, talking with my mom about the fact that my brother, who was the firstborn son, had died and that I was a twin, um, that I always felt like somebody was missing in my life. And I think very young, even I remember four or five years old, having questions about God hmm. and heaven. And so that why, that's why that's significant. And why was I alive and he wasn't? And they were, you know, I think being born into grief is how I would describe it, that there was always this sense of loss in my early childhood. And anybody out there that's a twin might connect with that. Um, I just had nine months, but there was this this deep sense of loss in my childhood even and being different somehow, something Missing, And so I, even very young, wanted to go to vacation Bible school with another church. I was raised in uh, the Lutheran church, a part of the Protestant churches. And I wanted to go to vacation Bible school with the Baptist church to learn about Jesus because they had that program. And at Easter, I wanted a chocolate cross and not a chocolate bunny. because of, And so maybe I was a little bit religious in some ways, but my family was not. Um, My family, we did the traditional upbringing of going to church and getting confirmed and things like that because it was the morally right thing to do. But my parents didn't have great faith in God, nor did really any of my siblings. It wasn't something we talked about at home. And during my teen years, um, I went to pretty much every church in my hometown, Mm -hmm. And I dragged my mother with me because I was unhappy where I was. And I just, I couldn't, I was just reading my Bible, trying to figure out, God, if you're there, where's the church? And because what I see in the Bible are these men and women of faith and adhering to your commands and this love and this fellowship and this family and everywhere I went, I was just, I was just sad and disappointed. And so when I went to college, um, I said, all right, I'm going to try here too. And I went to different groups on campus, different Christian groups on campus. And um, I was once again just so disappointed by the the lack of morality. And honestly, I just finally gave in. I think my need at the time, what I thought my need for love um, I was looking for it in the wrong places and I was looking for it more in a relationship with men and getting that approval and feeling beautiful. And my insecurity, um, I think, just got the best of me during those years. And I finally just said, God, I can't do this. I don't see your church anywhere. I can't do this by myself. So, you know, I want a husband. I I want a family. I'm giving up on this. And after four years of just you know, worldly, living, uh, immorality, dating, and things like that. I, at the end of college, I was like, uh, I, this isn't working either. So when John came back and we had started dating and when he came back um, and wanted to find a church, I had already in my mind, I'm going to look again, God. So I felt like God really, really did set the times and places for us. And about, Three weeks after his return, um, I was praying to find a church. We, had, we were already disappointed in a couple of places, just looking for something we could see resemble the scriptures. And I was super excited. I have a boyfriend that actually wanted to know God, even if we weren't doing it God's way, we weren't pure in our relationship. And, uh, and somebody stopped me on the street. And the sister that stopped me on the street that day had prayed that God would give her the courage to share her faith with people that intimidated her.
2: Mm.
1: And I share this because at the time in the, in the eighties, I was, I had the parachute haircut and the curls and the tight jeans and the baggy sweater and the fossil beads. And anybody from the eighties knows what that is. (laughs) And I was, you know, all about being style, you know, having style and looking confident, even though I was super insecure. And she stopped me and and she was with three other friends and they were going to visit um, a brother in the hospital. And they shared that with me and I was just blown away and the, the, uh, that they were people from the same church going to visit somebody in the hospital and they were in their 20s. And I'm like, what church is this? And we exchanged numbers and um, I was asked to go to a women's Bible study group, just women. And I went a couple weeks later because at the time I was a newly uh, a new nurse working in pediatrics and working nights and days, and so it took a couple weeks. But they per- they persevered with me. Um, I think they knew I was really seeking, and brought me to this Bible study group. And in The end of the study, it was, I think it was a Galatians five study on sin and everybody was so open. I was like, this is amazing. This is it. This is what I'm looking for. They were confessing their sin and they were honest and real with their current struggles. And at the end, they said, if you're interested in learning more about the scriptures, please don't hesitate to ask somebody. And so I went up to two of the sisters and just said, would you study the Bible with me? Mm -hmm. And we started studying. They came over to my home at eight in the morning because I got off work at seven. And we studied the Bible from eight to 10. And then I went to bed. And uh, three weeks later, I was baptized. But during that time, John and I were, he had come back from Europe and we were trying to figure things out. And um,
2: yeah, maybe I'll I'll interject there. I I remember she had, you know, done one of our uh, traditional um, studies on sin. And so she was at that place where she was trying to repent and, uh, and demonstrate a repentance by some deeds. And I think I was the deed (laughs) because I was living in her apartment at the time. And uh, she sat me down and had a conversation that I I really need. uh, I I need to move forward as I'm a little ahead of you, but I'm confronted with things. I want to, you know, I, I really like you, I think, (laughs) but, uh, but I really want to, I really want to please, you know, I really want to please God and get right with God. And so uh, I moved out uh, the next day.
1: But even that was just an answer to prayer because one of the sisters shared with me, Psalm 37, verse four, and most Christians know that verse. It's just delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I said, okay, God, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to trust you in this decision. I know it's right to build a pure relationship. I've not done it your way. I'm ready to do it your way. And I want a man who's going to put you first too. And, and so I just said, if it's John, I really hope it is then great. And if it's not, then I surrender that to you. And the next morning, well, that night he, he slept on the couch and the next morning he got a call from an old friend that he used to work with, his just long story short, had a job opportunity for him and a place for him to live. He had just bought an apartment and he was looking for a roommate, 10 o'clock the next morning. And that day he had a place to live because he would never have a job. He didn't have a place to live. He'd just come back from four months in Europe and God just laid everything out so beautifully um, and for me at that moment it was like okay you're with me I, mm-hmm. I know I'm go- I'm doing the right things God and I was baptized I think within the next week and uh, John was at my baptism
2: yeah and uh, so that was my first interaction with you know the church in Boston and, uh, it was pretty inspiring to see the six women, uh, a dear friend, uh, Bob, who was there also that, I uh, eventually studied the Bible. He studied the Bible with me. Uh, but, uh, so to witness her baptism, a biblical baptism, which I had never seen, uh, uh being raised Catholic and, uh, at eleven thirty on a Thursday night. Uh it was intimate, special, but powerful. So I think Carol spurred me on. Um we went to church together that next Sunday. For the first time. The I've first never time. been to church even. Because Carol worked uh, through uh through Sundays, Saturday nights through Sunday mornings. uh, uh much of that uh, three week period or whatever. But uh, mm-hmm. when I went to church, it was in the Opera House in Boston. Uh, I had uh, seven year old George Griganis on my left. <laughs> and uh, I had, you know, Frank Kim, who was doing the message that morning, a uh, 23 year old graduate from Harvard. It was a church like I had never seen before. And uh, wow. And so we met for coffee, uh, myself and a couple of the brothers, and studied the Bible. And three weeks later, I was baptized. Uh, That was uh, December 16, 1984. And maybe we'll move on from here, but I, I would just say, without much advice, I asked Carol to marry me three months later.
0: You guys got married shortly after that, 1985?
2: No, in, well, in 86. I mean, our initial date was <laughs> 85, but, uh, but uh, we realized that we had quite a ways to go to uh, writing some of our unhealthy dynamics. And so we uh, were really blessed to have some great couples that came up alongside us and helped us to figure out our... Helped us to figure out our dynamic and to start walking us through and talking us through kind of what a healthy relationship looked like and some of the spiritual principles there. But while wow, we're really grateful mm-hmm. for the, for kind of hands on uh, discipling, hands on. Uh, influence of mature spiritual people to guide us through and took us a little longer than I had initially thought with my idealistic view of what it would take, but uh, we made it there September of 1986. I would
1: just add to that how vital the it was to us to have uh, more mature married couples in our life at that time. Um, John did ask me to marry him and I said, yes, it was a really great proposal. I wish I could share that with you, <laughs> but, um, but I think, uh, I had a lot to work through still. And a month before the wedding, I said, we're not ready. And so, uh, it really was great how the church helped us through that time. It was a painful time for sure, for probably more so for John than for me, but, um, But for both of us, I think um, marriage is a big decision and a big commitment. And I I really wanted to be certain that we were ready and that we were making a decision um, to build a really great marriage together in Christ. And that we, we, I think because we had, we were young, we were 22 and um our view of marriage was so skewed from the world and i i just didn't feel like i had the foundation that we had the foundation we needed yet and i was just scared honestly i was just super scared what if we're not meant for each other and and we just needed help and uh anyway uh we got married uh, a year later yeah and uh, that was just a super, super vital time. We learned a lot together.
0: That's great. Would you mind sharing your missionary journey that, that brought you to Paris? It's, that That was 35 years ago when you guys got married. Congratulations. I must be coming up on a, a milestone in your marriage. Where, where have you been?
2: You know, the... Uh, uh, I think the, uh, our trajectory into the ministry was in 1986, we were married. We served like most did uh, in the Boston church, which was a growing church, uh, very empowering. I think some of our uh, leadership gifts, uh, our spiritual gifts were aligned with really what was needed uh, in the Boston church at that time as it was a growing church and it it became more of a mission center uh, planting uh, churches. So I think uh, the fact that Carol uh, had some very obvious leadership gifts and had um, uh, a good bit of experience in leadership, I think we both had faith. Uh, that came, that was simple, and that came rather easy for us. That was kind of idealistic in terms of uh, built, not a ton of major obstacles to our faith, uh, thanks to God and all that. And I think we both had uh, certain level of people skills and ability at that level, so we we're able to lean very easily into leadership of small groups and then a house church there. And after serving in various capacities over that first couple years the leadership in boston asked us to consider training uh in the ministry which we started uh to train of course every day was training uh, in the ministry in the boston church back in those days uh, that was absolutely uh the mode we were in um as an entire church, but, uh, mm-hmm. uh, we started working in supportive ministry in uh, the seven and it was that fall that, um, that parish church had been planted a year earlier, 1986. Uh, we had given our missions contribution to the uh, parish church in, you know, that fall of 1986, kind of our first married moment uh, together. And then, uh, there was at a staff meeting in boston there was an expressed need uh during you know at the end of staff meeting that uh that there was going to be a transition for some of the leadership in paris at that time which had started about a year earlier we were looking for younger uh, uh interns without kids to go and join uh, the church that had been started earlier and carol and i were sitting sitting in different sides of the room I think at that point and uh, we both kind of felt that huh maybe that could be us uh, of course the I think the message that day was you're not ready to yes, go that was, the that was the title of the message because there are a lot of people coming into Boston in those days wanting to be trained but also wanting to be sent out quick sent out quick um, and uh, and yet I think we were, uh, at a place where we were ready to explore, you know, what's next. Mm-hmm. And there was such a, a strong, uh, culture in the church built on, uh, you know, Matthew 28, uh, yes. verses 19 and 20, uh, go into all nations. And the world was becoming for the Boston church, super small. And for all of us as disciples, especially, uh, supported ministry staff, uh, it was just a matter of time when you were going to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so I think we had a conversation afterwards. We approached the Boston leadership and said, we're open to that. Of course, we were just getting in the ministry. And uh, back in those days, if you had two successful semesters of campus ministry, (laughs) you were fully trained. Uh, So they asked us to go uh, at the end of, you know, at the end of that year, uh, to go to Paris, so we got our visas together, and we moved to Paris uh, in 1988, April 1st. Today, wow. uh, the same day uh, in
1: 1988. Hmm. I think at that time in the in the Boston Church, such a special church to to John and I. There was this culture of. Uh, faith and wanting to be used by God and it, we were it was very god-centered and and believing that God would use our lives I think everybody it was really around a young singles and professionals and campus students and young people that really uh, really took to heart the mission and took to heart Uh, one another relationships, discipling relationships, helping each other, sharing scriptures together, praying together. And I just remember um, this excitement I felt even after our baptism of, okay, God, what are we going to do? Like, what are you going to do with my life? And, uh, you know, John and I just shared our faith with people, I think and that was the climate and the culture of the church like try and share your faith with at least one person a day you know it wasn't super accountability it was just this heart of I got good news to share and I want to share it so I'm going to try and share it at least once a day and find it find an opportunity which pushed us out of our comfort zone to learn to walk by faith and I think that's what that did for me is like it's scary but just pray about it and then go and you know the first person that became a christian john shared with sue his sister and i got to study the bible with her at boston college which was john's alma mater and sue was a student there and she was baptized and then an old college uh, friend of john's uh, was also that played baseball a good friend of his uh was also converted that first year, and uh, a woman I met at the hospital was converted, and it was just kind of
2: your older sister. Right?
1: My older sister was was a little bit after that, but we've seen quite a few members of our family over the years. I think just, I think what the Boston Church helped us believe was that God is alive and He would use us, and so we just wanted to go and change the world. I mean, that was the culture, that was the climate of the day and uh and we were immediately leading bible talks after that in house churches and then going into the ministry as john described and working with students at harvard and M- uh, mit and our one of our greatest joys was the harvard um uh married ministry graduate students and um and so i think having all those experiences going to paris was um God had just given us so many wonderful experiences where we could see him actively moving that we, we really were able to come with faith that God would use us.
2: And so that was April 1st, 1988. But uh, so we landed. The Paris Church was really a little bit in turmoil Uh Uh, The lead couples were both transitioning out of Paris. They had us as interns, another couple as uh, intern couples. We had very little experience. And so uh, we went into kind of survival mode for a little bit there. We had to do a restart of the church a little later, uh, six months after our arrival there. Um, and, uh, my ministry, you know, my, my ministry day was basically, uh, walking around the Sorbonne, uh, you know, for six or seven or eight hours, inviting people with my, you know, three phrases of French that I knew. And, uh, yet, you know, God found a way to continue to use, uh, use us in those early days. And, and really, our ministry life wasn't much more complicated than that. The first few years in Paris, uh, our role was more with campus students and campus ministry. And so we uh, uh, we just Wonderful. shared our faith a lot. We said the Bible with a lot of people. I think the first year after our restart, we saw 101 people baptized wow. in Paris with our you know, our 30, you know, our 30 disciples and, <laughs> and we all started to dream uh, again. And uh, that's when, you know, we started to see uh, the French converted and start to uh, start to get uh, French people into the ministry, started to see them train in the ministry. And, uh and maybe, maybe uh, just uh, a quick summary. Uh, after about three years in Paris, uh, Carol and I were asked to lead the first uh, French-speaking church planning from Paris, uh, which we uh, left uh, in uh, 91. ninety-one, May of 91, uh, with a group of about 10 or 12 uh, to plant the church in Brussels at that time was one of the major uh, cities in Brussels, Belgium. So we went there and spent three and a half years there and saw the church uh, grow from 12 to 120. 100 in those few years, we saw the day we left, we saw our 120th uh, baptism there. Uh, and that was an exciting adventure for us, you know, for the first time, really to assume responsibility for mm-hmm. the church planning and all that goes with that. And again, we were only three and a half years into the language uh, when we started the church. And if you've ever tried to learn a language, that's not much time. (laughs) Carol can give you her French accent. Yes,
1: I can give this to you, uh, speak with you a bit as a French accent. Uh, even the French like this for me to to speak with them with their accent because they have a better compréhension, how do you say? Understanding, that's the word, that, of the uh, language when I speak this way. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but it really, I will have to say, foreign missions is not for the faint of heart. I think we came young and naive and full of faith not fully having counted the cost. And maybe that was a good thing, I think, because we just were walking by faith. Uh, We took language classes four hours a day from eight to 12. And I got pregnant almost immediately. That's just the way it is, right? So throwing up in the Metro on the way to class um, and then coming out of class and sharing our faith. and. Uh, doing Bible studies and within about nine months we were able to start studying the Bible with people in French but it wasn't pretty and our accent really wasn't very good and yet God used us and I think the lesson I always gain from that is like it it, I don't need to speak well I don't need to speak perfectly I don't need to be perfect I just need to trust that God's word will convert hearts Mm and the Bible just converts people, you know, you just read a scripture and they, they get it. Wow. So,
0: okay. So you're um, in, you're in Brussels and then fast forward to your time in coming back. How did you go back? You, You came back to the States for a period of time. Can you just summarize that? Sure.
2: Yeah. Um, so we, uh, we spent three and a half years there in Brussels. Uh, we're asked to come back. That was kind of this season in uh, the mission uh, in Europe. Anyways, we we're asking Americans to come home. Boston church had given a lot. I think at one point we had 16 or 17 couples serving in the European arena full time that were all kind of uh, former Boston staff. So I think uh Uh, Mm. The Boston church had sacrificed a ton and uh, this was an opportunity for some of us to come back and give back to the Boston church, which we, I'm not sure we would have uh, kind of pulled the trigger ourselves to go home. I think we were just that stubborn that we would have continued to grind it out. Probably God knew better uh, Mm -hmm. what we needed, what the church ultimately needed and how things would play out. But um, going back to Boston, we um we just uh we had an opportunity to to work with the south side of the boston church for 17 years Wow! Uh, see our kids our three kids two were born uh, uh in uh, belgium mm-hmm. so and our first was born here in paris so five three and one to move back to boston and see our kids raised uh in boston and uh, we, we adore the Boston Church. Really, we stayed in the same ministry uh, for each of those 17 years, served alongside some real heroes yes. in the faith. And uh, then when we turned 50, uh, our youngest was just, uh, we were driving her off to college. Uh, we made a decision ultimately to come back uh, to Europe. Uh, so that was 2012. And uh, we had started uh, conversations with European churches about two years prior to that had visited, you know, any number of times in between there to see if there was uh, a need uh, or a desire for us to consider. I, I think we would have gladly stayed in the Boston church and continued to serve there. Um, but uh, you know, you've been around a lot, Rob. You know that you, you start to. Your conscience begins to trouble you when you see kind of what your Christianity looks like and what uh, the Christian experience is for other people in settings where uh, maybe they haven't been given as much and they haven't uh, they haven't uh, uh, received the amount of encouragement and. Uh, uh, that was needed to kind of mm-hmm. move beyond some of the tough chapters in our lives. So I think Carol and I both were compelled. Our kids were extremely supportive uh, for us to come to make the move, and uh, I think our conviction became less is more uh, that it was time for us. We had lived kind of that um, American dream. We had bought our homes. We had, you know, bought our cars. We had lived in a in, in a big house, and I think. That became less and less compelling for us. Uh, I think more and more, Carol and I felt uh, the need to simplify our lives. And uh, if we were going to have impact, make a difference mm-hmm. uh, going forward. And God kind of handed us this opportunity to return, which meant, you know, basically mm-hmm. selling, selling out one more time and coming back to Europe. Yeah,
1: yeah you know, it really... Uh, it was an interesting time because I think we saw s- that Europe was still hurting and needs and we we love the Boston Church so much. They've always supported us and we just, um, we felt like we wanted to help the Boston Church get to a place where she was really growing and thriving and with such a great support group back then and especially with Wyndham and Jeannie, I'm just going to mention them because I, we love them so much and really, and really miss Wyndham and want to honor him but uh we um we just felt like because we spoke french that maybe we could just build a bridge we didn't think we would move back we just wanted to be back in relationship with um and we were in touch with people through you know social media certain facebook and things like that but we just um we wanted to um, just see if there was a possibility to bring some encouragement to the churches. And so uh, Terry Fender, who's a dear friend and leads the Geneva Church, he uh, let us use his car for the summer and he went to Boston and stayed in our house and we just drove from church to church. I think that was in 2009 or 10. And, uh, and you know, and that kind of reinforced our just feeling that, no, we, we want to give to Europe. And even if it's just long distance to, to build the bridge. And then eventually the Paris church actually asked us to move here in 2011 and we moved in 2012.
0: How's, how's it been? I've, I've heard the church has been growing and I know that the churches in, in Europe have had to gone through, gone through some, some challenges and been a tough mission field. What's made the difference? What have you done that's helped the church to to do well.
2: Well, I mean that's uh, that's a great question. I think it's it's tough to say. Maybe, maybe Carol has it all figured out. I think as a, as a Christian, as a leader, you walk into situations, and you're. I think there's just the sense of what's our next step, and I think in the early days, obviously, it was the speed of trust. Church had. You know, had suffered a fair bit. Um, some of the leadership dynamics uh, in our past had had hit uh, pretty hard, and uh, so I think you know that that seemed to be um, kind of the the work to do in the earliest days of our return here to Paris. And I th- so I think we worked. We mm-hmm. worked. Um, you know hard just to be upfront about our motives and to be clear uh, to be to build an environment of mutual respect and uh, yeah and you know I, I think uh, it was I think the church was wanting meeting and we had people that were close to being qualified to serve as elders so I think that for us that, little bit Acts chapter 16. It felt like this was the moment uh, to really invest in uh, identify uh, the men that would serve as elders and the couples that uh, uh, were respected by the church and provide stability. And uh, I think God really raised up some um, some great uh, families. Uh, at that time to help us. I think that restored faith in leadership and trust in general. I think that was a big first Mm -hmm. step. What do you think?
1: There's so many things. Um, I think, you know, we came in and we didn't have a visa right away. So we were... um, in the country for three months and out for three months. And I think one of the things that God taught us through that time was, um, you know, sometimes when you're, you're going into a situation that has been through a lot, is hurting, you, you can think you're coming in to, to rescue and make everything right. And that's really God's role, not our role. Um, and we really had to encourage everybody to stay in the roles they were in And so initially, we were there more to, I think, um, point them back to God, I think, to see how big our God is, to remind people um, how big our God is, to to reset a tone for a culture that was one of family and, and encouragement, where there had been so much discouragement that we would come and point people to God to see how wonderful, how great, how amazing our God is, just a lot of faith speech. God speech, uh, lessons focused on God, and then um, believing, I think the other thing was helping them, again, to believe we're all full of goodness, even if there'd been conflict that, hey, they were all still here after what the church had been through. And I have so much admiration for people who stay faithful in situations that are not are difficult, where leadership has been lacking, or they've been through a major split, or what we've been through as a movement. I just admired the disciples that were here that were still fighting for their faith. They were still fighting for the church. And, um, and so, you know, we came in uh, with faith to help them, but It was really together, I think, that the the Paris Church uh, was able to turn. It was find a shared vision. And I think the other thing I would add to that is that John, from the beginning, said we want to be a giving church a church that as we grow and heal, that we can help other churches and having that vision that we would be a giving church, that we would share resources. We would share personnel. We would share what we're learning. We would, we would share finances and whatever we needed to do, not just for Paris, but for the French speaking work in Europe and now for all of Western Europe.
0: Wow. That's amazing.
2: Yeah. The only th- the only thing I would add Rob is, um, it's, it's kind of this obvious principle in Ephesians chapter four that, uh, you know, the role of leadership is not necessarily to do the work. It's to equip uh, others uh, to do the work. And somebody shared just last week here in Paris uh, when we were having a conversation with our Western European partners about uh, supported ministry staff and what the role is. And uh, one of the brothers was explaining, you know, when the McGurk's arrived, we didn't do less. We actually did a lot more. And I think that was, you know, that's one of the principles I think that we've had, um, in terms of building. But I think it was that in Paris, you know, there's so many things as missionaries with more temporary status here, not kind of moving into a pastor role, but staying missionaries. The church felt like they had a significant part to play in the future of the church. And actually the part we were playing was more temporary. And so it was more than stepping into Uh, roles and responsibilities in the church and us encouraging that and helping them to identify that. I think that was a big part in those early days rather than people standing in the wings watching to see what John and Carol were going to do. That was never the tone, not for five minutes, um, in the last nine years of our history year.
0: I've heard you you talk about the word. I've heard from other people that that the word entourage has special significance in the church. There, can you share a little bit about that that term and what it means to you? Well, it's. It's a French word, entourage. <laughs>
2: entourage. <laughs> I think it's, uh, I think Carol and I, as we were working with our team here, you know, the parish church was built on cold contact evangelism. And it was almost 20 years of a, it was a force to be reckoned with uh, the contact climate uh in the excitement phase and elements of that and also you know potentially the negative side of that
1: yeah when you're young and a student or single
2: and the fallout that can that can happen that can work but so so we had a church that was reeling uh from you know a a long chapter in their history of seeing uh dear friends uh wander from the church and so we felt like we needed you know also to find a path forward that wasn't just moving into the the only tool that we seem to have in our box uh, here in Paris uh, in the in our history which was called contact evangelism so I think you know trying to look into our Bibles and and see a different way to do things with now 45 year olds, which I think was the average age of our membership. And so Acts 17 was still in there, talks about God setting times and places. and uh, that people would seek him. And I think we realized that that passage wasn't just for random lost people uh, that we might happen to meet, but that was actually probably even more so uh, for the people that God had placed right now in our lives. And so we started to talk about who are the people that God's put in your life right now, already, uh, what are their names? And so whether it was their co-workers, or their family members, even if it was their children uh, who are of age uh, to study the Bible, their moms and dads, their siblings, their, uh, their classmates, their neighbors, uh, we start to say who are those people? are you looking at those people uh, with eyes of faith where you actually, see them and believe that god has set times and places for you to be in relationship with your divinely directed entourage mm-hmm. and uh you know I- I think we, uh, I don't know what our statistics are exactly nine years in, but I think we've seen 120 people baptized uh, with a group of about 75 since we arrived and another 60 that have returned to the church. But I would say of those 120 baptisms, I think I think just short of 100 of them were already known by our members mm-hmm. which it was their children or their siblings or their parents uh or their longtime uh, good friend or their classmate or co-worker and and it just i think the church grew uh, more and more and believe that God was working, especially within their entourage, that God didn't want to frustrate us or waste our time, uh, that uh, he really had already been working and doing the hard work of orchestrating sometimes lifelong relationships. Uh, why don't we just look at those people differently and make room uh, in our hearts, in our in our lives, in our schedules uh, for those people too? And and of course, your retention, uh, when you reach and are able to study the Bible with, build a relationship with, now a spiritual relationship with, and baptize, your retention is so much greater uh, than with people that you don't really have a strong network of relationships with because things happen in the early days. As a Christian, there's lots you know, of, of pitfalls and there's lots of obstacles that can happen. So um, I think that's... We kind of discovered that as we were going. What would you add? This is one of the most brilliant ideas that my husband has ever
1: come up with in looking at the scriptures. Uh, I'm sure I stole it. (laughs) uh, However, it happened. I'm sure you know God definitely guided us. I think even post 2003 in Boston, we we realized how important it was for the church there in Boston for us to focus on the youth and the families that, you know, if our families are strong and if saving our children is so important that for the future of the church. So the parents' church, when we got here, there were a lot of teenagers. And and so one of a, a big focus, in fact, John and I did teen ministry again when we first got here. And because we felt like that was, we had to seize the moment mm-hmm. as well and to help our families see their children um, give them the best shot possible to becoming disciples, to be being baptized. And, and then I think the second group in that entourage that John's describing here was those who had left the church. And I have to say the Paris church I was so impressed again with their how they stayed connected with so many members because the church had gone from 600 before 2003 to about 75. So there was a lot of people. There was a lot of hurt here, and to just say, you know, let's just let's just love the people that are right there, and um, to see so many come back to the to the fellowship um, to to our church has been such a joy. Every time somebody comes back, wow, that just heals so many hearts. You know, it just, it just, it's, it's like a bomb on our heart. And so we felt like we needed, we needed to see some healing and to have the faith that we could, we could actually see our children become Christians and, um and, and make, yeah, to become disciples. And so I think then the third thing is, just loving the people around you, you know, that Jesus just did that, you know, he just, wherever he was, he was just loving people. And we've had so much fun, John and I, just getting to know our neighbors, uh, wherever we've lived in Paris and building great friendships with our neighbors, which is not really French culture. They kind of, you know, keep to themselves, maybe, um, Maybe they do that a little bit more in America. We're certainly more quick to say, hello, hi, nice to meet you, but to really build friendships, apartment living allows us to do that. Even during this confinement, we spend um, almost every week in the evening with our neighbors and they know us and they know what we do, but we feel like that God has put us here. And so just, just love the people around you in short time or long, whatever it takes, that hopefully some of them will become Christians. And I think our brothers and sisters have, have adopted that mindset. We're going to love our neighbors. We're going to serve our neighbors. We're going to give to the people in our lives, Um, not just give an invitation, but be in their lives. And that has produced lasting fruit. I'll just end with that.
0: When you think about your time in, in Paris, what? Are there any moments you go that that was my proudest moment? That that just made me feel awesome. I think what uh, that's that's a
2: great question. I think what Carol just shared. I think we had come out of a season in the Boston Church where, I mean, it was a, it was a seven year period where. Boston church was a little older, five years older or so than the parish church. So we had moved into that youth and family mode. And uh, of course, our longstanding friendships and relationships um, were, we all had kids that were of age that were considering faith and at, at a certain point in their seeking God and uh, we had such a wonderful season there where I think we saw 75 yeah. of our best friends, their kids become Christians in that seven year period. It was just you know, it was just a wonderful time. And and I think we came to Paris and we entered right away into another church setting that had exactly the same challenge ahead of it, which, you know, was to reach the children of our members. And I think the fact that we legitimized together uh, Mm -hmm. youth and family ministry, that we didn't downplay the need to reach our own children with the gospel we actually said this is our number one priority in the church. And our number two priority was the lost sheep of the parish church. But the number one priority uh, was going to be, we're gonna create a youth and family ministry. We're gonna create a church culture that values our young people. And that all that we do is to continue to consider them as we build the church, uh, going forward. And, uh, you know, I think to, to date in the nine years we've been here, we've seen 45 of our, the members of our, the children of our members become Christians. Um, and, uh, you know, that's I think
0: they are maybe future.
2: maybe there maybe just four or five kind of had had gone through their teen years or th- through early campus years without becoming uh, Christians. But it's always been priority number one. I think for us that that's a proud moment mm-hmm. because you see. What a blessing that is to the families that, uh, you know, the holes in their hearts, if their kids never respond or, you know, if we don't prioritize that, even the resentment that can be borne uh, mm-hmm. in uh, toward the church. I think we did right by our families mm-hmm. by uh, during that time. How about for you?
0: Oh,
1: definitely appointing our elders early on and building that team that that's a highlight i think uh it's really brought a lot of stability to paris and to europe um i think our own son and his wife uh uh choosing to come to europe you know um from our former ministry in paris the couple that's now leading in in uh in milan john and rachel Buckholz, and i think you've already done a podcast with them they were a part of those our youth and family ministry in Boston and John and our son Thomas were best buds along with Frank McDonald, who's now serving in Prague with his wife Agle. And when they were preteens and young teens, they had this dream to be missionaries in France. And they chose France because we were big on France and French speaking Europe and they grew up in our ministry and, um, And they dreamed that someday they would all be missionaries together. And so to see John and Rachel go uh, graduate from the School of Missions in New England in Boston, and there's in Milan leading the church there now for seven years to see. Frank and Agley go to Prague and they've really helped bring so much, um, stability and faith back to that church. And then to have Tom and Courtney here with us in Paris, working campus ministry, we were feeling a little old. I don't know how Tom bound does it in Atlanta, but he's a rare breed. He and Kelly, we love them and respect them so much. And they graciously sent our son back to us, uh, where he was born in the city of Paris and those three young men, um, Inspired each other uh, in that youth and family ministry we had in Boston to be missionaries here mm. in in Europe. So for me, that's a huge faith story. Uh, as we've known these young men and their uh, well, not all their spouses, but since they were five years old, to see them all here in Europe serving just been i honestly give so much hope for the future not just of europe but of our movement and uh so that's a that's a highlight for yeah, me for sure. very,
0: very inspiring on a different subject entirely in reading up about paris it's a city of well over two million two million people second most expensive city in the world behind singapore according to one source second most visited city for tourism and I can attest to that. That's how we ran into each other a few years ago on vacation in, in Paris. Does that? How does that? How does that affect your doing ministry? Just the kind of the financial challenges. You've got a lot of people coming in, checking in from different countries all over the world. Anything? Any challenges that that presents?
2: Well, I mean, more blessings than challenges. Yeah. Honestly, we've seen. You know, over the nine years we've been here, 125 people move into Paris because whether it's French-speaking Africa or other places in Europe, you know, this is the place to be academically for most much of the French-speaking world. So, I think we the blessing of being, you know, a city that really does draw people i think that's a great blessing of course we've you know seen 75 or uh, uh, even 100 people move out of paris uh, during these years that we've been here so there's yeah so i think it's managing transitions that's uh that's real in uh, what has become a student town we have 50 campus students in our ministry, I think from, uh, from 22 different passports, uh, with 22 different passports. So there's a lot of work to manage Jesus and culture kinds of situations here. I think, uh, we've, you know, France, maybe not unlike the U S we have our tensions, uh, with former colonies, uh, with our African, Uh, disciples and coming in and integrating into the French culture, which is not as always as welcoming uh, as it could be in in the church. We try to bridge that gap, Uh, but there's lots to learn Mm -hmm. in, uh, you know, this melting pot of Paris, Uh, but it's, it's a fantastic city. You're going to have to come back.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, I totally agree with John. I think that um, it's, Whenever somebody comes through, through, if they come through for a year or two, we just pray that we send them off stronger with more faith and feeling a love for the Paris church that, uh, that we are building ligaments. We have the privilege of being a city where people do come through and where we build relations, global kinds of relationships with people. Um, We have former members of the Paris church in India, in Mexico, in Cambodia, in Africa, in the U S and, and, and all over Europe. So uh, what that does is they become a letter for the Paris church. Mm. And um, and I think that strengthens our movement. I think that's part of God's plan for cities like Paris. And and again, it kind of goes into our mindset of we're a giving church. Whoever comes, we want them to, to come here and grow and mature in their walk with God to be able to see God use their lives. <laughs> And then to do likewise, wherever he sends them, it's really, it's really where is God going to use their lives next this is, you know, we, we all have a a path to a road to walk with the Lord so I think that that is, is one thing I would say and then as far as the multicultural I think one of the things even we're learning and even as we've watched what's gone in the U.S., uh, it's definitely caused us to say we need to look better at this and to examine our own churches. How are we doing and having those conversations? And I think one of the things I'm seeing even in the Bible is the first century church was very diverse from day one in Acts chapter two. They were speaking multiple languages because they needed to in order to get the gospel out to all the people there. So the first century church started very multicultural. It might've been Jews, but they came from very different places, different languages and to examine even we've been reading through the book of acts and how did they manage that in acts chapter six with the the hellenistic jews and and all of these things and it's really i think embracing and learning what we can learn from the cultures honestly i'm so grateful for our african brothers and sisters They're they have a sense of faith and joy and that they've refreshed my heart all these years. I'm so glad we're a multicultural church. Even when we were in Boston, we were with our South Central group, and I just want to give a shout out to them because i they just encouraged me so much, such a family of warmth and love, and the diversity just makes us stronger. I think we have to embrace that and, and let each culture bring uh, the most Christ-like qualities they possess into the church.
0: When I was there that summer, that's when I ran into uh, Jeffrey, who leads a church in Brazzaville. I mean, I saw it there up close and personal, amazing people going through there on business, and it's a great church. You inspire me on, on several different levels. One, the fact that you went on a mission field back in the 80s, that's, that's inspiration enough. But then you went back in your 50s, and that's huge. That, that inspires me, and that's, I think, an inspiration to many people. You've focused on your kids. Your kids are faithful, and not only faithful, but advancing the gospel. And the ministry philosophy that you have that's guiding your ministry inspires me. The concept of entourage and reaching those that you already know. The fact that your ministry has been growing in a challenging mission field. And it's one thing to start a church, to get it going. That's challenging enough. That's without a doubt, one of the most challenging things, but you've been at both phases where you got the church going and then you got it re going or you at least facilitated and helped others to get the church growing again. And that's, that's powerful. And so I know that God has uh, many, many rewards for you in heaven for the work and faithfulness that you've shown him over the course of your ministry career. Any final advice for those listening who want to make this life count. They, they want to live a life of significance and live a no regrets life.
2: I think the first thing that comes to mind as you ask that question is, I think each one of us were uniquely qualified, uniquely gifted for such a time as this. and I. I think a lot of what's driven us, uh, Carol and I, in our decisions is even this, the return back to France, is we felt like we were uniquely qualified. We spoke some of the language, we under, We had history with the churches, uh, we had relationships uh, with some of the key uh, personalities. There were really very few people uh, that were able to lean into that uh opportunity uh to strengthen and encourage the church i think we're is just to self-evaluate to look at the spectrum of needs ask yourself the question what am i uniquely qualified uniquely equipped to do for god and do it regardless of the cost huh.
1: And you know, sometimes we don't think we're qualified. So it is sometimes good to ask other people. But even if you don't feel qualified, you have the Holy Spirit, you have the Word of God. When we were young disciples, we were not qualified. And I think God doesn't just use the qualified, He uses the faithful, and He uses the willing, and He uses the humble. Um, And he uses the person who feels unqualified, maybe more often than the ones who feel super qualified. Mm. So I, I would say, you know, it's easy to just kind of live the way the world lives and live the way the average Christian is living around you. But we still serve an amazing God and Jesus is Lord. And there's a lot to do. There are churches in the US that have so much strength and maturity um, that, you know, that the there are people within your churches that could help so many people just within your own churches, marriages that could help other marriages, parenting things, so many things. But to just take, if you're an empty nester, Why not use your summer and go serve a church overseas that you can still communicate with in English and serve? Help. Maybe you can't move there permanently, but you could use your vacation. You could, um, you know, there's just so many things. Gosh, this is a whole nother podcast in and of itself, right? (laughs) Dare to dream again for God. You know, Caleb and Moses and so many in the scriptures, their best years where they're oldest. You know, their, their latter years and so many great men and women in even in, in a worldly perspective, their greatness came through in their latter years because they had wisdom and maturity and experience. I'm like, don't don't go just retire. This is go do something for God and and dream about it and pray about it and get input. And I know God will guide you. He will guide you. We had a unique path because we had already been here in France. We learned the language. But if you speak a second language, and you know, then come. And if you're young and you're studying French, or, or we could use some people to come to Bordeaux and help us with our church planting there. Or if you want to go to Germany, wherever you know, learn a second language and grow in your faith, and just go. I don't know.
0: No, you do. Come.
1: Just come help. That's great. There's a lot to be done. There's room for everybody.
0: <laughs> That's probably a question on people's mind. If someone were listening and interested in missions in France, uh, are there still spaces available? Is there still room to grow? Are you still looking for people wanting to help and how would they reach you?
2: Uh, through this podcast, <laughs> uh, no, there's, you know, I think we're, we're a regional family of churches, the Western European regional family of churches were about, uh, a thousand disciples in 14 different churches, uh, that span eight different nations, uh, uh, in Western Europe. And uh, Bordeaux, uh, we've had to push back the starting date several times. Thank you, uh, COVID. <laughs> and uh, and yet we have a, a a great group of faithful disciples that are there. Yes. Uh, others that are moving uh, yes. to join the team. So uh, our hopes is to plant a church in uh, in France uh, every other year. <laughs> Uh, Going forward, Uh, I know in the German speaking churches, they have similar ambitions, Uh, the Italian missions, they'd like to uh, start uh, their second church uh, from Milan, uh, go to a second city, Uh, Madrid, we're in more of a revived Madrid, Spain, mode and spanish speakers are needed and welcome i know uh, a number of um, couples families have expressed interest in going there uh, Mm -hmm. to encourage and strengthen strengthen the church but uh wow just you know if you know for us disciples especially uh, there are so many opportunities. Eastern Europe, we haven't, haven't even talked about Eastern Europe right. uh, with uh, eight uh, smaller churches um, that have tremendous need for faith, encouragement. Lots to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Say, what we need are people of faith. And I think so, wherever you are, God, let God use you now and let Him grow your faith and get somebody in your life that's got faith and learn from them and be trained and if you can be in a school of missions get in a school of missions and if just find ways to serve where you are you don't want to just jump to foreign missions you're you are a disciple of Jesus right now so wherever you are let God use you now and he'll train you and He'll he'll help you determine your next steps but um that can seem super glorious to just come to Europe. And I, and I'm, I, I, we definitely welcome more people, but I think, you know, it's still a hard, it's still a hard field. So, um, let God train you now and then he'll guide you, uh, whether it's to Europe or South America or South Texas, I don't know. <laughs> right? That's right. There's a lot to still be done in the U S as well. Um, and other parts of the world. I mean.
0: Absolutely. John and Carol, thank you so much for the time on the program. I really appreciate it.
2: Uh, We appreciate you, Rob and send our love to Pam. I sure
0: will. I sure will. And I want to thank you for listening to the Rob Skinner podcast. Let me ask you a favor. Let your friends know about it, how to find it, because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.